0: Welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we get into the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. Joining me today is a fellow podcaster from Mission Log, the Oroville. Hello, Mike Richards.
1: Hello, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me on, man. This is really exciting to be a guest on your show. Uh, thanks. Okay. Glad to get the
0: accolades because uh, we're, we're still running a Mickey Mouse operation around here. But uh. <laughs>
1: That's OK. Sure. It's uh, you know, this is this is your show and you asked me to be on here and I'm excited to do it. And I love the Twilight Zone. So it's, it's just everything's pointing in the right direction, man. Like the magic eight ball, all there signs it's... point to yes.
0: All right. So uh, today's episode is about smack dab in the middle of season one, maybe a little bit before that. But it's uh, what you need. So I'm going to slap out a little bit of trivia on that one moment. While the teleplay is by Rod Serling, the story was by Lewis Paget, which was a pseudonym for the husband-wife writing team of Harry Kuttner and C.L. Moore. The story had already been filmed as an episode of Tales of Tomorrow, which is a bonus feature on the Twilight Zone Blu-rays. Steve Cochran played Fred Renard and was a character actor who played alongside Danny Kaye, Groucho Marx, and Joan Crawford. He eventually slipped out of the studio system and did a fair amount of TV before dying in 1965 at only 48 years of age. Ernest Truex sells you what you need, and he had a slow burn in the film starting from the silent age. By the 50s, he was the go-to man for your elderly TV character, including the uh, later Twilight Zone episode, Kick the Can. His son Philip stepped into the role of Harry in Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry, But Harry got off screen quite quickly and the sun did not really continue with the acting biz. Um, So, Mike, I'm going to task you a bit now. And uh, as I tell people, you could do your Rod Serling impression.
1: I've had someone do goofy, but uh... all right. No sound effects, but I will do my best. You're looking at Mr. Fred Renard, who carries on his shoulder a chip the size of the national debt. This is a sour man, a friendless man. A lonely man, a grasping, compulsive, nervous man. This is a man who has lived 36 undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure laden years, and who at this moment looks for an escape, any escape, any way, anything, anybody to get out of the rut. And this little old man is just what Mr. Renard is waiting for
0: all right nice reading there um well thank you sir <laughs> this one kind of gets me um we're just telegraphing how horrible this guy is straight from the start it's like please don't have any sympathy for this guy whatsoever
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, they tell us and then they show us and then they keep showing us <laughs> you're right They they it is telegraphed in the prologue
0: yeah like um which which is fun i mean this is a bit of a i guess a bit of a morality play in the end. I I did. I don't think I said this in my bit of trivia, but um, the actor, Steve Cochran basically was a comedic actor and um,
1: it's often pointed out. Okay. Kind of reminds me of that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. He he reminds me that he kind of has that. um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The guy from the burn notice who showed up in the original Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire, the uh, Spider-Man that's the best you got. Or the, the human spider. That's the best you got. That stinks. That guy. I can't. Bruce Campbell. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. He kind of has that quality
0: to him. Yeah. A little bit of that. And um, I, was, I guess there is the idea that, you know, comedic actors tend to do the best menace. I can see that. I do you go back? um, You know, Jack Nicholson playing the well. I guess he's not a very comedic actor, but he's done a lot of comedies and kind of, I think he brought that to his uh, Joker somewhat. And it's,
1: he did. Know. And some, some of the more um, menacing Robin Williams roles that he did, like an in insomnia and and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I mentioned to you, we do, I do a um, sci-fi film podcast and we just um,
0: accident by accident did like two depressing Robin Williams films, like in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's just how things work out sometimes. Sure um, is. But the the other thing I keep noticing as I move through the show is um the men in the Twilight Zone seem to always be 35 to 37. This guy's 36. The ladies all tend to be 26 or 27. So
1: kind of an interesting convention there. It it is. And I just kind of think if that's um sort of the I mean, the funny thing is when I met my wife, I was like in that age group, I was 33. And she was sort of in that mid-20s group also. So I don't know if that's maybe sort of the sweet spot for maybe finding yourself. Uh, maybe it's kind of the demographics that you're, uh, that Rod Serling was trying to reach. I'm not, I'm not really sure. It just kind of seems like maybe it's that, uh, that age right before you start to settle in and find yourself. And I think women do mature faster than guys do, at least here in the United States. I'm not sure about other places. Yeah, my wife's actually about, nine months older than me um
0: <clears throat> but that's good because whenever it's my birthday like you know I turned uh 43 next year and when that happens I'm like wait what, wasn't I already 43 <laughs> so like I do I'm the all... same thing
1: yeah I try yeah. to get I start getting spooled up for my next age change about six months out so by the time it happens I'm like wait aren't I oh no yeah and it's like I, uh it's like a free one
0: yeah I've been thinking of myself as that age since June so I'm like wait wait I, I can actually notch that number one down I'm still a hitchhiker's guide of the galaxy age. So (laughs) that's my my 42. Um, I guess we'll do a few observations on the, on our, on the man who has what you need. Did they actually give him a name? I don't believe so. I don't
1: think they did. Um, you know, the intro I read said just this old man, and I just did not ever catch a name from him. Uh, Mr. Renard is Fred Renard. I picked that up somewhere, maybe just in the credits or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think that's
0: the only place they tell you. So um, I guess we can literally call him like little old man. But uh, (laughs) something uh, that actually another guest uh, mentioned when we were doing Perchance to Dream is he noticed uh, when he's giving the scissors to Fred, um, he's giving it in a like kind of not aggressive, but it's like blade first, like he's kind of trying to protect himself even at that point which is like some noticeable foreshadowing
1: i did i saw that the way he grabbed him sort of from behind him and and brought him uh kind of kind of clenched in his fist uh up toward him it was i don't think it was offensive but i think he was ready for i think the old man was ready for anything
0: yeah yeah because uh it seems he generally gets to go around being sort of the um you know, Santa Claus to everyone. So uh, as befits us recording, recording this around Christmas, it'll be released later. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess this is when the the guy that's getting coal for uh, for his holiday comes uh, attacking Santa Claus with a pair of scissors.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, you know, the old man was he, it seemed like he may have been sort of burned or maybe abused his, his power at one time too. I picked up on this was, this was in the, uh, uh, the scene where, <laughs> where Fred was, was extorting him. And I think he got the fountain pen off of it. And he said, can you read the future? You know, what do you have? Do you have a gift? Do you have powers. What do you have? And he said, I have, I have a very limited power. I use it very sparingly because I have to use it sparingly. So I wonder if one point maybe in the past, he, tried to use it less sparingly and bad things happened, but it did seem like he was a guy that um, took his uh, great power with great responsibility and um, was able to kind of find the sweet spot that how to help people without going overboard was, was the idea, but I kind of, I'm interested in a prequel show on this to see how, uh, how he found out about this and maybe how he learned to hit the, hit the right level of helping people out.
0: Actually, I could probably refer you to another episode with a different actor. Is that in this season? It is. Excuse me. I'm forgetting the name of the episode. It's in a later season, but where it does have um, a man who can basically affect i guess a little telekinesis right so you know the guy drags him out to vegas and he's like oh my power doesn't work anymore which was a lie he just didn't want to be involved in it anymore so right uh, there is an episode that sort of plays out like the prequel to this in a way
1: oh Um, that sounds good yeah i've you know and i have man i i think i've seen every episode of the sci-fi with probably the exception of some of the hour-long ones because they weren't really normally working their way into syndication uh the same way the other ones did but i think every night on my home uh uh, channel eleven in New York was um, man, I, I want to say it was some iteration of the honeymooners, Twilight Zone and Star Trek, the original series, kind of back to back to back. And right. that was uh, that was that was nightly viewing for me from you know, whatever age I could get away with staying up that late until probably I, you know, I moved on with my life, which was, you know, had to be a a good solid 10, 15 years of, you know, ingesting that daily. <laughs> um i did just
0: remember that's uh season two's the prime mover i believe so okay i'll uh, look forward it, to
1: that your timing was perfect because i was about just coming up on this episode i had just finished watching the lonely and um was coming up on this episode so this is this is perfect timing to jump in and, and do this well there we go uh
0: one of the big things in this whole episode is the concept of a uh, Yes, I, I, you know, a little metaphysical. That's one of the reasons I like doing the Twilight Zone, uh, I'm ardent trekky, but you don't get too metaphysical and Trek. whereas the Twilight Zone can get as metaphysical and weird as they want. The idea that maybe this guy just really notices synchronicities like he doesn't tell the future. He just he knows what you need.
1: <laughs> it, it, it really was amazing. I mean, as soon as he walked in and we saw um, Arlene Martell, that's who I noticed initially, Uh, who played a role in Star Trek, the original series and was also she'll show up again in uh, the episode 22 in a later season of the twilight zone, or at least a later episode of the twilight zone. Uh, But she was the woman who wanted matches, but he said, you'll need this cleaning solution. And uh, there was the baseball player there who was down on his luck and was given an opportunity in Scranton. And he gave him a bus ticket to Scranton, I believe was the right uh, was what he needed. So, you know, was it reading the future? Is it just summing people up at the time? Is it just maybe a gift that he has of um, being able to just kind of read what's going on in the present and connect the dots between, you know, different people and different paths that they have and sort of give them what they need for those paths to cross. But, you know, it looked like there was a pretty happy couple with a, with maybe a bright future. Uh, coaching minor league baseball in Scranton, Pennsylvania, walking yeah. out the door on the end of night one.
0: Yeah, again, that's why he's, um, you know, using his power sparingly, because some people, what they need is like, are not protagonist are uh, the main man in this episode, Fred, uh, you know, like what he needs is probably not good for most people, because he, what he needs is to con and scan people. At least that's what he thinks he needs.
1: And he needed everything, you know, he didn't, he didn't just need a nudge. He didn't need the, you know, just, just, uh, you know, have a, a a slightly cleaner suit to, uh, go meet the general manager or be able to afford a bus ticket, which, you know, being down on his luck as long as he had been, I don't think he would have been able to take advantage of that opportunity, but, uh, Mr. Renard wanted everything like he wanted to basically, like you said, steal and scam and uh take advantage of the situation and not just use it as a an opportunity to get his life back on track and i think that's kind of a real big difference between what what he was trying to use what he needed or what he thought he needed versus what uh, the intention was to give folks what they
0: need um yeah wanting wanting more than you have i guess i you know shows renard as being relatively down on his luck as well like he's not in a good position but you know mythology or whatever always has your king midas or you know solomon um who really has everything but they they need they need a little more right Uh you know which is the tragic flaw for them and renard in this episode
1: (laughs) yeah and you know how much is enough i mean he said all right 1 million 2 million before he was interrupted at the door uh, with the guy bringing him tomorrow's paper. Uh, so clearly not enough, you know, a million wouldn't be enough. 2 million wouldn't be enough. This was the, this was only going to end badly. I think once, once it got started because of the greed and not just, again, I think it's, I think there's a lot in the title of, um, you know, need versus want what you need versus uh, what you Think you should selfishly be entitled to,
0: right? And of course, that'd be it, a long
1: episode name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still shorter than that uh, Fiona Apple album, I believe, which is like a full paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> With the pawn, let's see if you can remember the first three words, not the whole title. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you know, the last the, the the twist of the episode is, of course, what a, what the the nice old man needs as a you know like. Because Fred's gotten enough of what he needed, so uh-huh. uh, you know, a bit of a bit of a morality tale here. Um, I w- you know that's, I wouldn't necessarily say this is one of the best Twilight Zone episodes. It's certainly a, a, a fine average, I think, but uh, the twist is a little bit.
1: It's fun, I guess. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it was. Um, what I found, what I found noteworthy was. When the old man said, "When I looked in your eye the first time I saw you, I saw death, I saw my death," and uh, ultimately he gave Renard the shoes in order to save his own life. And I kind of wonder, you know, if he saw death in this guy's eyes on on night one in the diner, just give him the fountain pen right then and there, man. He can try to gnaw through his scarf with a with a fountain pen while he's going. <laughs> While he's going up the elevator, yeah. <laughs> that problem would have been taken care of. But I guess he thought maybe give him a chance to uh, live and learn.
0: I wonder how common elevator accidents like were were back then when they had
1: the uh, you know the steel grate sort of thing. It it might have been. I know. Um, I know what I thought of when I saw it was Edna Mode and the uh, the Incredibles when she was like no capes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no ties. Yeah, I, I yeah I no. Like, I can live by that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, there's, I got, I got uh, a tie to work. <laughs> yeah, in fact, there's a uh, you know in my profession, there's a lot of guys that wear clip-on ties just so that they, uh, uh their justification is, and I don't know that's necessarily true, that if they're trying to uh, uh, evacuate from an aircraft, that they they might not, uh, oh. it would just come off instead of choking them.
0: Okay, well so that that makes sense because I was sitting here thinking, um a one that you know i I teach kids they would notice very the little ones would notice very quickly so you don't want little kids making fun of you for wearing a clip on no (laughs) japanese um so yeah i was thinking of the synchronicities that hit me sort of while um watching this um of course this came right as everything froze around me so watching him slip in the end i'm thinking you know i had to check the sole of my shoes the next day because uh and I've been avoiding my own black ice the, fa- the past few days.
1: <laughs> I bet. Yeah. it uh, Things start to freeze up. I live in the, you know, kind of the central Midwest, um, you know, central Indiana. So we get some, you know, some definitely some icy winters and I got to be careful going out there also, but I could definitely relate to trying to run around on a street on an icy night in dress shoes that was, that was uh, definitely a relatable moment for me.
0: Yeah. Um, in Japan, sometimes like uh, maybe, maybe not the past year or two, but you'd go out on January nights, especially in the city and, you know, see women still trying to dress, you know, fashionably. And it's like, man, that looks cold. Cause it's like mm. um, in Fahrenheit, I don't know, like 25 or something, not, not the worst, but certainly not good for <laughs> dressing high heels. <laughs>
1: yeah i they are they are tough a lot tougher than i am i would be bundled up in uh in a coat and a scarf that might get me killed in, in an elevator if i didn't have a pair of scissors handy
0: i kind of noticed the uh, music for this one too uh in the way of a synchronicity i suppose um i just listened to a podcast about uh, a bella bartok piece and then the music in here kind of made me think of something uh, like that or or, you know, Planet of the Apes, uh, the original movie music sort of had a bit of that feel to, uh, to some of the music in here, which I thought was interesting. Yeah,
1: I noticed sort of that ominous uh, ominous tone uh, reminiscent of the Planet of the Apes. I also couldn't help but notice that when, when the old man would kind of offer you know open up his briefcase and and offer something to either the woman who was looking for matches or the the guy that he offered the bus ticket to that there was i don't even know if i can really call it music as much of a sound effect and it reminded me of that same kind of sound effect used when the uh, the telosians in the original star trek episodes either the cage or the menagerie you know uh cast their illusions on people it sort of had that that uh that sort of shimmering uh sound effect that was very similar to what what was used here
0: yeah and i heard that um sort of explained uh, in the Bar Talk podcast as being his um like kind of nature night music that's what the, he kind of invented those techniques so he'd take folk recordings he'd like take a very early recording device uh, in the first half of the 20th century you know go to like bulgaria and just record people on street corners go home and then try and like classically write it all out, like with the rhythms intact, everything intact. In and uh that's sort of where that kind of percussive sound ends up coming from in the end. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why he's considered a brilliant composer. Not that Bartok did this music, but uh you know, they were using the same kind of ideas. And Jerry Goldsmith, again Planet of the Apes, really ran with that. Um even with uh Star Trek the motion picture, I think of like the, the Viger noises and things uh sort of along that line as well. <laughs>
1: Yes, and and also the uh, the Klingon music that that was used again in Next Gen and and for decades after that kind of had that sort of sort of rhythmic um, ominous tone to it that that was that we saw in Planet or heard excuse me in Planet of the Apes and very much like this episode in the kind of the darker moments.
0: Just having a little look at my notes here to see if there was something I I missed. Uh, I do have a few questions I like to get into when I do these so. Let's see, the shoes went to waste. He only wore them for about a minute before he died. I I I bought shoes once when I was uh well, I'd been drinking, and then I bought shoes and ended up with shoes two sizes too large for a while. So that wasn't so <laughs> for great. a while. Did you grow into them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was just uh they were they, they sketchers sneakers, so it was just like going around in like little boats for a while. So Yeah. <laughs> I I was working at a desk at the time, so I guess I didn't, you know, uh need to wear the shoes much uh scranton pennsylvania uh that, scranton
1: sucks scranton yep. sucks ray yeah that's
0: my note although i did find a first pressing of david bowie's low there once mm-hmm. on vinyl so that was kind of cool <laughs> uh that that's certainly a plus um oh the the other one is uh with the the old dude i feel bad that i just keep calling him the old dude but um the other metaphysical concept that came to mind a little bit was the uh buddhisattva you know the, yes. the, that he's already transcended, so he's just there to help people. You know, you don't advertise it.
1: So, great point. You know, I mean, he he mentioned, uh, I think when he was being accosted in his own apartment, which I don't know how Fred got his way. I don't know how he knew where he lived. I don't know how he got in his apartment, but he was just, but he was just there, sitting in the seat, uh, which was which was scary. Um, but the old man was like, "I have what I need. Like I don't." I don't, I don't need anything in here. I have what I need. And, th- and that fits very much into, into what you're saying. And when you do have what you need, then it's time to start helping other people out. Right. We, we, you know, kind of start off in our lives and our careers. And, you know, one, we're just kind of trying to survive as, you know, for our little babies. And then you, you know, you get educated and you get a job and you get a career and you kind of get your foothold. Um, and then, you know, you get that, hopefully that security that comes with it. And now it's time to to help other people uh, achieve their goals and put their better interests ahead of your own, and kind of be that that servant leader, teacher, mentor, uh, fill that kind of role. And like you said, uh, exactly right. So great point for bringing that up. And I think that's you know hopefully where the old man is at this point. Like he's got what he wants. He's he's satisfied with what he has. Maybe it's not much by some standards. You know, maybe by uh, Fred Renard standards, it's not, it's not much, but he, he has what he wants. He's satisfied. And, you know, his, his big goal, his big need is to, to help other people and give them what they need. And it's, it's, you know, the, you know, Mr. Renard just does not understand that. And I don't think he ever will. Well, I know he had never will cause he's dead now. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it it's worth knowing that the old man when that happens you said why didn't he just give him a fountain pen in the first place? Well, he doesn't he seems like he was really trying to avoid this moment. Like he yeah. really didn't want to off this dude, but it just, you yeah. know, uh his own death was impending and it's like uh, at that point it's it's him or me, I guess.
1: Um and and, and, and I think that's true whether, you know, whether or not it, it, Excuse me. I think that's true. You know, whether we're talking about like the practicality of day after day, uh, day by day living or, or something as, or something to the twilight zone is that if you see a situation like this, that possibly could go wrong. I think the responsibility to take is to try to make sure it goes right first. And rather than just kind of cut this guy loose, knowing that he's, probably going to die that night. If he doesn't have a pair of scissors, he at least gave him the chance and he gave him a chance to, to, to get through that part of his life and move on. So, so you're exactly right that I don't, I think it would have been very un old man, like uh, you know, who I feel like I, I know very well now, I think it would have been very un old man, like to just uh, sort of um, uh, relegate this guy to death on, on day one, just because of a look in his eyes.
0: Right. And so I, you know, I actually, we do like this little old man who I, guess doesn't get a name quite well in the end uh like you know he seems quite almost not despondent but he's certainly feeling a tinge of sadness that his giving the dude shoes just led to his death so because we should mention he just gave the guy a pair of shoes you cannot uh
1: you know (laughs) but that's that's what was interesting though too is that the guy said okay shoes what do i do do i walk somewhere like he didn't have to go running that was that was all uh brought about by his own sort of greed and, and um, you know, desire and and lust for more stuff. Um, He could have said, you know, cool. These are great shoes. Thanks. They're a little tight. You know what? I'll take them home. Maybe I'll uh, stretch them out. Uh, Maybe I'll wear the shoes that I have for now. I mean, so, so the decisions that Renard made after getting in the shoes were his own and very much a reflection on just what kind of guy he, he was.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Again, I, I teach small children and some, you know, when they're starting to climb a bunch of chairs, like, you know, get you need to be off of that. And then when the tears fall, they start crying. It's like, yeah, that's because you climbed on the chairs that are just laying against the wall. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that's how these things work, man. <laughs> Life is choices. Um, choices
1: have consequences.
0: So I have a few questions I like to put on these these episodes.
1: Um, All right. I, I, and I am and I am coming at you. Uh, okay. As a newbie, completely un- completely caught unawares, as uh, as some of us like to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't really go with the how does it hold up, because these are, even you know, even when the episode's a little derpier, it's usually quite well made. So I, I, I don't feel like that's the right question. What I do ask is, uh, in this episode, who exactly went into the Twilight Zone?
1: I think uh, Mr. Rainier. Renard, excuse me, Fred Renard went into the Twilight Zone.
0: Certainly for him. Um, and then it brings me to the old man. Is he like of the Twilight Zone? Uh, did he go in? I mean, he's he's involved for for certain, and he has he, agency. He knows what's going on.
1: He sure he- is. So so I think he he was, and and I'll say that he was the Twilight Zone, or he was the environment that um, that Fred Renard ended up going into. So let's sort of maybe try to draw maybe a different analogy of somebody who's, you know, maybe maybe hustling their whole life, maybe working hard their whole life. And just just like Rod certainly said in the prologue, he's had a, he's had a, a whole life of um, friendless, lonely, grasping, compulsive, uh, he's nervous, and it's it's just not going well. And then all of a sudden this opportunity shows up, okay? Not the old man, but just, just just say you or I or somebody else who's who's worked hard for that one big break. And that's what um, the old man kind of represents is, is this big break. So do you take it and make the best of it? Uh, do you take it and go back for more? Do you take it and try to strangle the goose that laid the golden egg? Um, that's kind of how Fred Renard reacted to this opportunity or these opportunities that he was given with the scissors and and the fountain pen. So he certainly could have taken his, taken his winnings and moved on with his life and, and kind of started anew, but he didn't. And he got greedy and he went back for more and it ended up getting him killed. So that to me is the Fred Renard sort of went into the twilight zone and the old man was the kind of the environment that he found himself in.
0: Yeah. The other two people that are on my mind would be the uh, baseball player and his new lady friend. Um, maybe they just like had a, a passing glance at the twilight zone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they sort of skimmed off the edge and they just kind of benefited from uh, uh, from from their their close encounter of the I don't know, pick a kind, first kind, second kind uh, with the twilight zone and and went went on with their lives and hopefully led a better life before it. But man, that that. You know, lefty certainly could have come back and said, how did you know about the bus ticket? I want more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. And, uh, you know, the lady with the with the matches should have been like, she could have been like, how did you know I needed that cleaning solution? Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. <laughs> um, but they didn't. They just kind of took what they needed and, you know, took advantage of it in a good way and uh, moved on with their lives. But Fred couldn't leave well enough alone, man. Yeah. Um, my second question,
0: I think we've, we've basically already answered it. And honestly, Rod Serling pretty much did in his intro, but, uh, do these people deserve their trips into the twilight zone with, with Fred, uh, it's, uh, it's of his own making. So I guess, yes.
1: Yeah. So I think, um, the, the, the most, I, uh, un- uh the person we know the least about, I'd say, is um, you know, the woman who got who asked for the matches and got the cleaning solution. Uh, not a lot of backstory on her, other than I think she needed I think she right. thought she needed matches. Um, we got a little more backstory on lefty, you know, that he was a quite talented baseball player and that he, you know, got injured and you know was coming into the bar every night. Um, you know, I think I said trying to find his, you know, trying to find his self, trying to find his redemption in the bottom of a bottle uh so you know and then i think i don't know about the most backstory but definitely the most exposure we had was to to uh mr fred renard (laughs) but it was not uh did who i i honestly think that you know probably the most deserving of the trip i would almost have to say lefty yeah you know he was he got a bad break he was injured um you know, probably would have been better if he was not in the bar every night, although I can understand going to a bar every night. Not that, you know, you condone going to a bar every night on your show, I'm sure. But I can definitely understand that uh, after a disappointment. So I think he was maybe deserving of a second chance and he and he got it
0: right. The old man, uh, he, of course, had a bit of a um, I mean, he, he was not in the best of moods by the end of this episode. I imagine uh, having not, not killed a man, but uh, being, you know, somewhat responsible for what happened. So. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's least deserving of of what's happening here.
1: Yes, yeah, I think he did find himself in a in a an unfortunate situation where he almost had to um, use a a self defense clause to to get out of it. Sadly, yeah. Now, my last um,
0: question: I used to write um r- record reviews for psychedelic albums, and I would I would put them on the tripometer. meter. Um, actually, you. We connected through Discord, where I come to use from my old pen name for writing psychedelic record reviews, but which is <laughs> Dr. Schluss that's where that comes from, uh, but I uh, wondered about that, yeah, yeah, well you, Matt Comma just doesn't sound like a good name if you want to read some psychedelic record reviews, so <laughs> but um, one of the ways I would rate the albums was the tripometer, and that's what I now apply to the Twilight Zone. uh, I'm making it a zero to five scale. Five being the trippiest, uh decimal points and um fake numbers being fine.
1: <laughs> okay. Um so so a number like <laughs> two point pi would be okay. Yes. Um <laughs> uh I you know I think I honestly I think I'm probably right around a I I would say a two. It's I don't think it's a terribly trippy. Episode. I think it's an episode that just shows that some people will take a little bit of good luck, a little bit of compassion, and a little bit of help from a stranger and use that to maybe make their day a little bit better. Uh, use that maybe to make their life a little bit better. Uh, somebody else will take a little bit of help, a little bit of, of grace, a little bit of, of good fortune uh, that they come across from a, from a stranger and get greedy about it and go back for more and, um, create more problems than they had to begin with. So I think it's a pretty good allegory for like all of these shows are just, just pointing a mirror at our own life. But I think that a situation could arise on a not super highly trippy scale, super high trippy scale where this, you would see a situation very similar to this play out in the real world.
0: Yeah, I I do pay a lot of attention to weird synchronicities. Not not in a you know I'm trying to like go nuts sort of way. Just like be observational. So um, I actually was thinking 2.3 myself. So I'm gonna steal <laughs> your your 2. pi because that's so close.
1: That, and, and that's really kind of right where I was going when I said that. I was like ah it's somewhere about a 2.5. But when you said the the things 2.3, I, that's a that's a good number. So right around a two 2.314. We'll be on the show uh, for a long time if I try to finish that number, so I'll just keep it right there. Right.
0: <laughs> well, I um, you know, we did the the Twilight Zone movie in my movie podcast, and I, I actually asked my co-host for the numbers there. So, you know, when we did like Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. He's like, "Well, tw- it's twenty thousand. <laughs> That's got to be the rating. <laughs> <It's> got to be. <laughs> yeah. No way out of that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been groovy chatting about this one. Um, I. Before, what, about two months ago, I had only seen one episode of the Orville. Now I've seen eight of them, and that's because of uh, what you've been up to. Can you tell folks about that and where to to find it?
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So Roddenberry Entertainment, uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, started a podcast called Mission Log. And Rod Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry and Majel Roddenberry's son started this essentially because they wanted to document... The legacy of his parents so people think people say star trek matters and that it means a lot to them but they wanted to kind of dig into it and see why that is uh what are the messages the morals the meanings do the episodes stand to the test of time um and they've gone from you know the the first pilot episode of the cage in 1965 all the way up through they're just finishing up deep space nine now they've got about 450 episodes in the mission log at this point and they're going to go through voyager enterprise and just just theoretically keep going for as long as there are new new shows coming out well rod wanted to expand that use the same format to expand that to different shows and see if that star trek roddenberry philosophy has made it out into other uh other tv shows other forms of entertainment and the first one that they wanted to look at was the orville seth MacFarlane's science fiction uh satire uh, comedy slash sci-fi show. And so we took a look at that and we follow that same format where we, we just, uh, recap the episode, make some observations, talk about the bigger ideas, try to suss out some messages, morals, meanings, and see if the show aligns with the star Trek Roddenberry philosophy of things like diversity, inclusion, optimism, uh, humanism. Does the show sort of give you something to aspire to, um, to be a better human, uh, going forward. So that's kind of how we break the show down. Um, it's available at, uh, podcasts.roddenberry.com. Uh, I think it's on, uh, most of the podcatchers at this point, and we're just finishing up season one right now. We'll do season two, and then we're hoping to get caught up. Uh, I should not say hope we will get caught up in time for season three to launch uh, on March 10th, 2022, uh, one way or another, Matt this ship will leave on time and we will be ready to go <laughs> March 10th for that. Um, so mission log, the Orville.
0: But yes. I hope it is a compliment that I have been watching the Orville because of your podcast. So,
1: <laughs> Well, I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, yeah. man, any feedback I've done, uh, I got my start with Trek FM doing a couple of uh, shows there and a couple of guest appearances on um, uh, galaxy class and all good things on uh, UFP, the United Federation of podcasts as well as some other non-genre-related podcasts that I've been involved with also. So uh, it's been it's been a great ride. And the fact that I've got a great partner in Jessica Lynn Verde, and we have a lot of fun doing the show. It's been very cathartic. It's been very therapeutic uh, for me as well. At a time where, honestly, that's sort of what I was thinking when I was watching this episode was that you know somehow the universe gives you what you need and right now at this point in my life and, and crazy times with COVID and other things happening, you know, this thing sort of came out of nowhere, but you know what, Matt, it's exactly what I need right now. And it's helped me a lot.
0: There we go. I was, I was hoping we get some synch- real life synchronicities going with along with this episode. <laughs> I, it definitely I will, is. I will say the, uh, the first Orville I saw was a few years ago. I, I watched majority rule which I liked, but uh, just to respond uh, to to your episode. Yeah. Like I think the statue grinding kept, not that I was offended. I was just like, this is kind of stupid. And I didn't really watch any other episodes until recently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how, how, how something will turn you off to, to a show. um, Especially early on in the run. It's kind of like, I remember, you know, when next gen came out, episode number two was just sort of almost like a line for line remake of an original series episode. uh, And I just thought if we're, we're, they're just going to rehash old TOS episodes. I'm not even going to bother with this next gen stuff. And I think it was probably season three before I went back and looked at it again. So I can definitely see how something like that would turn you off. Um, They do. It seems like sometimes, honestly, the humor may get in the way of the show, And uh, the point of that show, obviously, was, you know, majority rule and court of public opinion and, you know, how much harm can social media do? There are a lot of really good, I think, concepts in the show. And it just sort of had that little um, justification to get John into the legal system, which I was like, I was almost screaming at the TV at that point, because one, they're supposed to be making a low profile two his commanding officer is telling him to get down and he's not and I was just like oh my god get down from there <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do like that
0: episode But a few years ago I just like was I didn't know what they were going for what tone at yeah. all and, th- and that episode is especially kind of I think whack in that aspect
1: <laughs> yeah and it seems like you know when when Roddenberry created Star Trek. He sold it as wagon train to the stars. Cause he had experience as a Western writer, right? I think he did have a gun Will travel and, and the rifleman and, and some other, some other scripts there. So he took what he knew, which was sort of TV action, adventure Westerns and combined that with science fiction. And then you've got somebody like Mike McMahon with lower decks, who, who took his forte of adult animation with um, Rick and Morty and combined that with sci-fi. And now you've got Seth MacFarlane, who's who's just I think he's just a brilliant satirist. And he combines that, you know, kind of satirical humor with with sci fi to look at, you know, current day issues from a global perspective. And I think it's and I think he does a really good job when I'm breaking that show down. I mean, I can find so many different threads to tug on and they'll just go a mile long. And it just it just honestly becomes an exercise. And what do we have time to talk about on this show? (laughs)
0: yeah yeah really but um yeah definitely i uh now that we've gotten into it for five minutes people should definitely go and listen to a bit of uh your podcast
1: <laughs> yeah pl- please do and uh we're on twitter at ml underscore the orville and uh you can find us on facebook at uh mission log pod as
0: for this one it's time enough podcast it is time enough pod on twitter time enough podcast on facebook Hopefully on all the podcatchers by the time uh, you are hearing this. Well, if you're hearing it, you probably know how to find it anyway. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, on Patreon, we're under the umbrella of Podcastio Podcastius, where I also talk about sci-fi films and Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary and caught and educational films on oral hygiene. There's also some podcasts there that cover Pokemon and Monster Hunter if you're into that kind of thing. So come and check us out throw us a dime we'll give you episodes early and uh keep our lights halfway on maybe (laughs) okay well mike it's been a blast talking to you today about this one so hopefully it's what you needed
1: thank you matt it was exactly what i needed